my penis. What a wonderful, wonderful way of saying how much you like me. What? <laughs> yeah. No one's ever told you that? While I was holding their penis? Yeah. Um, no. Most of the time it's like, why are you holding my penis? And I go, look, sir, I'm trying to get on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, then you squeeze and you go, honk, honk. <laughs> and I don't go, honk, honk. I'm like, can I get in for free? And I squeeze it t- uh, tighter. Mm-hmm. And the gentleman always says, more. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Real Appeal (laughs) Podcast. This is your host, Kelsey Loizel, also right for your entertainment corner, (laughs) who is my co-host today. Is it different than any other day? Um, Managing editor and writer, Screen Geek. (laughs) Mark Salcedo. Ah, see, I got it. I just flipped it. Mm-hmm. Ah. Woo, medication. Keep me focused, making me tired. <laughs> you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Real Appeal. Two E's in real. You can email us at therealappeal at gmail.com. And if you could review us on any of your choices of listening platform. Mm-hmm. That would be greatly appreciated. Like I have said, for close to... Three years. Three years. Over 150 episodes. Actually, I think we're close to like 160 because there's those bonus episodes we did. We're everywhere. We're on all podcasts. Maybe we're not on ACAST. Damn, we should really try to get on that. I've been seeing a lot of people getting on ACAST now. Hmm. Just thinking. A lot. (laughs) Stop thinking. Uh, our segments for this week are our recent review of 3,000 Years of Long-ing, our Variety Time, Who Keeps Killing Quixote, our geriatric cinematic of The Fisher King, which came out in 1991, Mark. Mark. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. What's tarping? <laughs> Uh, curses, wishes, and tall tales. I should have said tail talls. <laughs> For some reason, I, I picture myself typing in tail talls and be like, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Did you like how I, I said the recent review? How'd you say it again? I, I was, I was 3,000 sh- years of long. <laughs> <laughs> when you, when you said long, ing, I thought you were buying yourself more time. Because I was changing the variety time. Oh no! Title. Because I, I remember, I remember, I wanted to change it to "Who's Ke- Who Keeps Killing Coyote," mm-hmm. and I was like, "Oh, that sounds dope. I'm gonna put that in there." But I forgot. I thought you were buying yourself time, but no, I'm just an idiot. <laughs> and you did it below too. Did I? Let <laughs> 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 me change that. There you go. It's fixed. And, um, and, the, and the other one. There you go. And in fixed. the title. And in the title. <laughs> what in the fuck? <laughs> uh, you know, I want to talk to you about something. Um, Kelsey, have you uh, have you accepted our Lord Jesus Christ Savior into your heart? Um, no. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to ask you this question. Um, have you? This is nothing new, but my ex brought this up to me. Um, have you seen those TikToks where uh, where a parent like records their child saying like, "Hey, I'm going to get into a fight." Um, 
but like this person I'm going to fight, they have a kid too, and I need you to back me up. Are you going to back me up? Have you seen those videos? Mm-mm. Well, normally, like those videos, like like when they when the parent asks their kid, it might be like one or two kids, three kids, or something like that. Normally, the kid is like, "Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah, I'll back you up, mom. I'll back you up, dad." You know, they're like getting their shoes on, they're like putting their hat on, they're like getting ready to like fight, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, a couple of days ago, I was talking to my kids, my kids' mother, and uh, we were talking about. I was talking about getting her, getting my daughter another piercing because she seems like, I, like she's never shown interest to get another one. But I've just, I kind of want to throw that out there, like, oh, do you want to get another piercing or something? Because I remember being at a young age wanting piercings and being like, I, you know, that'd be cool if my mom was like, yeah, I'll help you get a, a piercing. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> my my kid's mom was like, um, saying that Leia wouldn't Leia wouldn't do that because she's. It's too. It would be too much pain for her, or something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I thought about. it. I was like, "Yeah, Leia's not much of a. She's not much of a fighter. Like she's. I don't think she's ever really got into a fight, like a fist fight, mm-hmm. right? So, I wanted to ask you this question: If you were to do that, we'll we'll do one kid at a time. If you went up to Cameron and was like. Cameron, I'm gonna go fight somebody, but they got a kid. But I need you. I need you to back me up in case that kid gets into it. Are you gonna help me out? How do you think Cameron would react? Um, talk incessantly <laughs> about how mean people are, uh-huh. and wanting to know what happened. And if this person punches her, or tries to come after her, she'll just bite them really hard, or you know. <laughs> Maybe, like, I don't know, today she accidentally almost said, I'll kick that guy in the ass. Uh-huh. But, because someone bullied her today. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, she would talk a lot. Just mostly talking, but when yeah. it came down to it, I don't know. She would probably be a nervous fighter. She probably would do it. Uh-huh. But she would... She'd be like, she'd be like holding back. Yeah, and like, she'd be like leaning back and like trying to throw punches, kind of like that kind of way. Yeah, which yeah. you know, like I can't fault her for that because mm. that's exactly how I was. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I would punch down with the bottom of my fist. Oh yeah, I can picture you doing that. Yeah, like I, I was not a good fighter. I used to spin people around too till they fall. Spin them around. That's how you would fight them. You would, you would be like. Yeah. No, like, like I would grab a hold of them and I would spin them like. Oh, oh, you like, like grab by the arm and like throw them around or something. Yeah. That's very wrestling of you. I know. (laughs) I was, you know what? Hmm. When I was babysitting kids in the neighborhood at my dad's house. Yeah. And then there were a bunch of other kids, and I was like the oldest one, and they um, all decided to like wrestle at the same time, or they would like gang up on me. Yeah. And it was mostly like a lot of grappling. Yeah. And I would totally fucking win every time. So even if I had like five kids like ganging up on me. So I feel like I know this answer, but anybody listening, I don't think they would know this answer. How do you think Cadence would react? Um, she'd be like, "Why?" <laughs> and I'd be like, "Cause I need your help." Like they uh, were mean to me, and she's like, "Oh." Um. I guess if you need me to. <laughs> um, and then she wouldn't, 
she would just stand there probably. Uh, and I would ask her what, like, what, what, why isn't she fighting? Yeah, yeah. And she wouldn't be able to answer why. Yeah, she'd be like, she'd be like, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, does it have something to do with the hair in your face and you can't see anything? <laughs> no. And that's how it would go. Uh, like, while, while you're just getting, <laughs> while you're just getting double team yeah. by the parent and their kid. Exactly. Do 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 do. And Kane's just like, oh wow. She'd probably start crying after a little while. Uh, but she wouldn't fight. I I um my my kid's mom had uh she said she said if she pulled that on on Leia mm-hmm. that Leia would first call me because <laughs> <laughs> she like she knows that um once she obviously she's aware of my my uh tendency to like fly off the handle not anymore i've learned a lot over these years and everything but she recognized how much i had anger issues Mm -hmm. uh her her actually the anger issues falls deep in my family and it's been it's been passed on to leia like leia will get angry but like if you try to confront her in a fight i don't think she would be able to handle it she always gets reduced to tears yeah like there was this one time (laughs) so fucking funny there was one time during a during one of her soccer games there was uh oh another player that i think like had like took the ball away from her so i don't exactly remember the exact circumstances but leia didn't like it so what does leia do she like like shoulder checks her right like it crashes into her okay and Mm -hmm. the girl falls down (laughs) the girl falls down gets up and pushes leia Mm -hmm. leia falls down and it starts to cry (laughs) And I mean, it's it's funny now, but I've been meaning to like sign her up for some type of like self defense class or some type of boxing class and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like she, I like, know I mentioned to you, Krav Maga would be really yeah, good yeah, for her. exactly. I just kind of get my finances in order, but I've been meaning to sign her up for something like that because she's getting to that age where you know boys or girls they won't say they don't take no for an answer, mm-hmm. and knowing her, she'll either. Like, I don't know how she react. I'm hoping she would try to defend herself in some way. Start scratching or going for the eyes or kicking the balls or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, I honestly feel like that since Leia's mother had told me, like, what she would do. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like if I had asked her to do that, she would be like, w- w- why? W- what happened? <laughs> and if I was just like, yeah, no, come on, come on, help me. She'd be like, uh, do I have to? <laughs> She would text the girls. <laughs> she would text the girls. She would text the girl. And then she would text her mom. And mm-hmm. then I'd be like, then I'm like, all right, cool. I just got to do two people out at the same time. Um, but yeah, that, that, that thought had crossed my mind earlier today. And I was like, I, and the funny thing is like, everything that you're saying that Cameron or Cadence would do, I'm like, yeah, I kind of knew they were going, <laughs> you would go that route. Because we, we tend to know our kids. We tend to know our kids pretty well. Mm. Each or, or we know our kids pretty well. We know each other's kids pretty well because we're like around we're around each other and each other's kids a lot. Mm. So we kind of like to the point where like I can do great impersonations of all three of them, <laughs> <laughs> like almost like spot on. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's that's about it. Then that's a 
a, f- a weird challenge, I guess. Like, all those challenges are coming out on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I like that one. Like, it's I, almost like traumatizing to tell your kids we're going to go get into a fight, get ready. Well, see, that's the thing. Every video I've seen, the kids are like, yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I got your back, Mom. I got your back, Yeah, but Dad. how old are the kids? Oh, I, the youngest I've seen is maybe like four or five. And the oldest? The oldest? Like, that's the thing. They don't really go... I don't think they really go higher than like 13 or something like that. Mm. I mean, it's totally different when it's like a 15. Like if, like if my mom came up to me as I'm 15 or when I, when I was 15 and was like, I got to go fight somebody. I, as soon as she said fight, I'd be like, who, who we fight? Like, that's all, that's all you get from me. Also, it's different, too, when you're defending yourself. I think that's mm. why I had a hard time fighting. Mm. But I remember distinctly slapping my mom's boyfriend in the fucking face really when i had nails on too and i cut his fucking lip and he responded by throwing a full beer can at me man a waste of beer (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what it was when i was a teenager i was like ready to fight really damn but i I never did but i mean i was like ready because my mom was always like in, in need of something that guy must have been a serious fucking asshole that guy yeah yeah i was starting to picturing how i was gonna murder him Okay, before you uh, say anything further, uh, <laughs> well, obviously uh, I didn't you, do that. Before you attempt to incriminate yourself any further, uh, what are we reviewing? <laughs> My God, <sighs> way to make me feel bad. I know. After I've said a ton of incriminating things in my I didn't, own past, I, it was nothing incriminating because no. I didn't do it. Duh. Yeah. Watch somebody's listening. Be like, you know what? I think I know what that guy's just talking I was about. I remember he died. his last name. <laughs> I can only remember his first and middle name, but I can't remember his last name. Yeah, that's not important. He's probably dead. <laughs> um, our recent review, that's what we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. We are doing 3,000 years of long-ing. My name is Alethea. My story is true. I am a solitary creature by nature. I have no children, no siblings, no parents. I did once have a husband. If there is fate, who can say? But in the Grand Bazaar of Istanbul, I chose a memento. I like it. Whatever it is, I'm sure it has an interesting story. So what would you wish for? What is your heart's desire? I do have a question. What does one do with three wishes? You'll see. The synopsis is a lonely scholar on a trip to Istanbul discovers a djinn who offers her three wishes in exchange for his freedom. It's directed by George Miller, written by Augusta Gore and George Miller. It stars Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. Um, so... <sighs> 3,000 years of longing. Um, God, I remember seeing the trailer for this and it looking just like intense. Yeah. Like the entire movie, like, holy shit, this might be a great film. This might be another great hit by George Miller and all that jazz. And then we showed up to the movie theater. And there were four people. Including us. Including us. And one of them fell asleep. The entire time. I think 10 minutes in, we heard loud ass snoring. Yeah, yeah. Um, So let's, let's go over... Let's let's go with our overall thoughts of of this movie. What did you what did you think about it? I thought that it 
beautifully told a story of the human affliction, whether it be, you know, love or, you know, greed or mm-hmm. just the need to be oneself. Yeah, and like uh, the the idea of freedom, but mm-hmm. not even like in a physical sense, and like in a mental sense of mm-hmm. feeling that freedom, especially like. Uh, and one of the stories, I think in, like, the third story, it really, like, harkens the idea of, like, being free to, like, be yourself and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but I meant even passion. even for the scholar, too. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. And I think I really like how the story was told and that it wasn't the same story every time, even though it was one of the characters was the same. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, it's, it's funny. It kind of reminded me of, in a way, it kind of reminded me of because uh, this movie is essentially like an anthology, mm-hmm. um, but it, in a way, it kind of reminded me of of the uh, animated film Heavy Metal, mm. where the where one character tells another character how they how they have affected history in some form or fashion, mm-hmm. but like in a more trying in a more positive way, you know, and like uh, circumstances just happen that it falls in a negative way, right? Um, so. It, this is like a definitely it was definitely like an interesting turn from like George Miller I'm not very familiar with his work so mm-hmm. well I mean just just think of the Mad Max films <laughs> you're like yeah but before that you said before mm-hmm. that he did mostly like children's stuff right no not before that but before Fury Road mm-hmm. he did Babe and I think Babe 2 Pig in the City mm-hmm. and then he did like the Happy Feet movies mm-hmm. um, I think I don't know what it was in him, but something woke woke him up. He was like, "I need to do adult films again. Like, <laughs> like I need to flex my fucking directing capability." Mm. And you know, he did the hugely popular, widely successful uh, Mad Max Fury Road, yeah. and then he follows up with this, which I think it was a very ambitious film. Um, this is a like a multicultural, multilingual type of cast. Mm-hmm. Um, very it's it's so funny because like this story is not i don't say it's not relatable it's definitely relatable um but like it's not a it's not an american story which it still can be but i feel like it wasn't sold as an american story no it wasn't sold as american and also it's relatable but also like you know how films, a lot of people are like, oh, it's not relatable. And mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, but when you watch something relatable, mm-hmm. it kind of pisses you off because it's relatable. Yeah, yeah. Like, I or, feel like or, this... Or they see it like, it's too familiar or something like that. Like, but you want something relatable, there. Right. So that's what I like about this, is mm-hmm. that you can understand everything. Mm-hmm. You can feel it. Um, but you don't necessarily feel like you're stuck in the movie yeah yeah like it it definitely sweeps you off your feet yeah um but you don't feel dragged down by it yeah it's like uplifting it's definitely like fairy tale-ish so this movie is a this movie is a clean hour and 48 minutes it did not feel like an hour and 48 it did not it felt it to me it felt longer but not in the negative sense more like a wow they are they're really stretching their feet like yeah yeah they're really going in different areas and they're really like tapping into a lot of stuff and like these there's like the scope of like the production design and the scale of things just like wow they are fucking going at it hard like 
I, I was half expecting this movie to be like two and a half hours, mm-hmm. which I would have been totally fine because I was fucking fully invested in this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, anything, anything about the uh, direction from George Miller that might have piqued your interest? Um, I like the transitions, mm-hmm. especially in the beginning. You notice them more. Oh, yeah. Where like one scene kind of melds into another. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, and the storytelling, the pacing was, to me, was pretty good. Yeah, like I'm like I I have the IMDb page up for the movie, and they have like the trailer going on at the same time. And like while you're talking, like looking at the trailer, I'm like, holy shit, those visuals are fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they do like, and, and it's so funny because like some of this because this movie has it has a lot of CGI, right? Mm-hmm. And none of it actually feels like bullshit cheap. yeah cheap or bullshit cgi it doesn't feel like transformers where you're just like nothing has weight to it or anything like that mm-hmm. um so like like george miller's directing like this movie re- reminds me of like damn that's why george miller is so fucking good mm-hmm. at, at what he does you know and it also upsets me because i know this movie didn't make a lot of the box office um let me actually look up the numbers real quick um that upset me too, especially that we were the only four people there. Because mm-hmm. like, even trying to tell people at work about it, like, "Hey, it's a really good movie. You should watch it." Um, Erica has something personal against Tilda Swinton, apparently. Really? Well, I say that dramatically, and she'll be laughing and saying, "I don't have anything personal against her. I just don't like her since she was in this one movie a long time ago." Okay. And she can't see her as anything but that role now. So the movie made opening. So domestically, it made uh, three point six million. Internationally, ooh, not even barely half a million. So worldwide, it's bare. It's not even topping like four point five. It's at four point two right now. That sucks. That does suck because like it. I because I remember saying this like on the right. <clears throat> excuse me on the right home after watching this movie with you I was just like this is a great movie it just sucks that nobody's gonna fucking see it yeah um like style like style wise you would think that you would almost think that maybe three separate directors did three different segments Mm -hmm. but it's just one mind able to like split off in three separate directions and still keep it interesting and keep it cohesive yeah and very keep it very cohesive um yeah, and then like, like the writing from it was from George Miller and Augusta Gore, which I believe is George Miller's daughter. Um, I believe this is actually her first feature she's ever written. That is some hella good writing. Uh, yeah, Augusta Gore's first, yeah, first film. Wow, three thousand years of uh, three thousand years of writing. Fuck, three thousand <laughs> years of vlogging. Three thousand years of long. Ing. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I I was really enjoying the writing. Um, man, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think anything in Pacific that really got me. Oh, like okay, now okay, now the movie could have f- really had fallen. I could have failed because it's essentially doing world building. This movie is doing an, an incredible amount of world building. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like I'm not familiar with like the history that they're telling or how they're interweaving the with like with whimsicalness and magicalness with like actual events of history mm-hmm. the only thing i know is like what a gin is and that's because 
of Miss Marvel and what we do in the shadows as oh. we're talking about gins. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's a genie. Got it. All right, cool. Right. Mm-hmm. But still, I'm like fully invested in like what was going on because the writing was so great and the world building was so great. And the fact that like they didn't really like really play it up like if people were idiots. Like they weren't they didn't do this whole thing. And this is the thing, this is a trope that they they don't do so much in Hollywood anymore or in films. But they used to have this phrase where it would say, like, explain to me like I'm a child. Mm-hmm. You know? This movie doesn't do it. This movie is like, hey, this is what happens. Just kind of follow along. If not, cool, we might circle back. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was just like, yeah, that's I'm 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 with it all the way. Yeah, I like that too. Mm-hmm. Um, what else was I gonna say about this thing? Oh, his eyes. Who is his elbows? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were lots of times where his eyes were like you couldn't tell if they were being CGI'd or not, but they mm-hmm. were very like um, like expressive. Oh yeah. But you kind of know that it's not natural for them to look that way, but it also mm-hmm. doesn't look fake. So I was like kind of confused by it, but like in a mm. good way. I think that really goes into the 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 acting capability of Itch's elbow. He's like he's done like a ton of movies and done, been a ton of roles and stuff like that. And it's so funny how this dude is not bigger than he he's not a bigger star than he than he is right now. Mm-hmm. Like this dude should. I mean, he's he shows up in like blockbuster films. Yeah, and like the hotels dot com commercials. Hey, I I have a theory of why he does that. It's like I think he does it because like it's extra money, and I think they shoot on location wherever exactly. he is already acting. Exactly. Because the latest one that I saw was him and like, like almost like African setting or something. Oh, so it might have been Beast or something. Yeah. <laughs> that I think that's the I think that's the case. Or it's like, hey, Idris, um, Hotel.com wants you to do an app for them. Okay, what they want me to come down somewhere? Yeah, they want you to fly to Fiji. All right, cool. And like that's it. <laughs> I'm going to feed you for like three days. Yeah, sure. Why not? Free hotel? Yeah. Cool. Um, which is why I think like you McGregor does the same thing. Because he, he does for Expedia, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's still Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Oh, okay. Who does Kayak? We're all thinking about like... Ka- no, there's no person for Kayak. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So, since you mentioned about Giselle and his eyes, any any of the acting that that you enjoyed uh watching um the love interest in the third story Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed uh oh yeah yeah that was such a great fucking story um but mostly like the main characters are tilda swinton and idris elba and um i like both of them for what they do and I think they mesh well in a certain, in a really weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't expect it. Yeah, like, that that was one thing. Like, when I saw the trailer for this movie, and there it was like, um, these two are going to be, like, love interests and stuff like that. I was like, I'm not going to buy it. I can't buy it. Yeah, that. because he's, like, this cool, like, black guy. And, you know. Super suave as shit. Yeah, and she's kind of awkward and maybe a little mysterious, but in, like, kind of a ghostly kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, how could that work? Yeah, and apparently it worked really fucking well. It did, except for one point. Okay. And that is that for most of the movie, you don't see that chemistry at all. Mm, Okay. And then there's a hard switch, but well, then you quickly start believing it. Well, yeah, and I and I think I think that hard switch. I honestly think that hard switch was on purpose because of what happens to 
kick off that heart switch. But yeah, I, I fully agree with you. Like after the heart switch, you're just like, okay, I totally believe that they are really in love. And that's the thing; they didn't have to like it's. It, and I think this once again goes it goes great to George Miller's directing and the the two leads' performance. They didn't really have to like do the super duper like PDA type of 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 to to convey that they're like in love. You know, no, it was actually that. the well, the thing that made it come out as true. Mm-hmm like true love is the fact that that didn't exist yeah like it was based on friendship and understanding of each other yeah exactly um so that's what i liked about it the most yeah and that actually made that <laughs> that actually made me enjoy the ending a lot more because i because I, normally no I, actually I, I take that back well normally when you end a story on the high you have to end it on the low to kind of give it like a satisfying ending yeah, otherwise it comes off as too cheesy. Yeah. Like, oh, I expected that, whatever. Yeah, and this movie, it it honestly started on the low in the terms of, like, love and passion and then, like, uh, solace and stuff like that. And then it got to the point where, like, okay, it's going to end on a high. And it but was it was, like, like a bittersweet kind of high? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, that, I I think it totally worked. That's why that's why when the movie ended, and, like, right now, not right now, like, a couple minutes ago when I said it's an hour and 48 minutes, I was like, really? That felt longer, but, like, in a great fucking way. It did, but also that hard switch we were talking about. I mm. think if they would have spent just three minutes mm. just ironing that part out, mm. because I think the switch didn't have to be that way. Yeah, because you don't even yeah, so. see her wheels spinning. Nothing. That's the thing. I don't. I I take that. I think you you do. I think the scene where she when she where she does like a hard swallow. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds so wrong <laughs> without contact. That sounds so wrong. But like when she does like a hard swallow, I think that's supposed to be like the wheel spinning, because that's in relation to like what happened earlier in the movie. Yeah, I don't know. But to me, that was the mm. hard. That was just a hard switch. That's like a hard switch. There wasn't enough mm. like chemistry beforehand to. Yeah, to it was just that. like all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it. I can. I. I, mean, I can. I can see where you're coming from. It, it wasn't much of a problem on my end. Well, it, it wasn't for me either. And also, yeah. like the line of questioning that was going on throughout the whole movie just mm-hmm. kind of gave me a sense of like I need to protect myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. You want to get to the spoiler section? Yeah. All right. So we're gonna talk about uh three thousand years of long ink <laughs> <laughs> in the spoiler section. Uh. You know, we're talking about a great lengths and all that stuff. Blah, 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 blah. So if you don't want to be spoiled, here's your spoiler bumper right about now. Hi. Hi. What's up? Um, this guy. For now. For now. Is your name Chicken? What's the name of that movie? Chicken Little. Chicken Little. My name is Little. Chicken Little. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so the third story. The, it seemed like that was your. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's your. That was your favorite story. That was the one with the woman yeah. and the search for knowledge and All everything right. like that. So that was my favorite one mm. for the content. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The first one was my favorite one for the visuals and mm-hmm. for the idea, like the mysticism and the mm-hmm. uh, fairy taleness of it. Yeah. Um, plus, like, whoever plays Sheba 
It's fucking amazing. <sighs> that woman was gorgeous. The second story I didn't really care for. Um, yeah, that second story was kind of. I don't necessarily was poo poo, but it was very like. All right, we're kind of like pumping the brakes on this, on this story for now. Um, you know, with that being said, when you're talking about the um, the, the three stories, it it it's interesting because I and I think this this goes into how great the writing wit is and the and the directing. The first story was like huge in mysticism with like these weird creatures and stuff like that. Even the way how. Um, I think it was like, I think it's like King. I think the character was King Midas. Solomon. Oh, was it Solomon? Okay. Mm-hmm. How Solomon like swoo like, you know, uh, Queen of Shiva and everything like that, and with the music and everything, and how they were like these like weird creatures, and how the gin got into the bottle and everything. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, the mysticism kind of like declined a little bit, right? It was still there, but not as prevalent as in the first one. Then in the third story, there was almost no mysticism at all. Well, yeah, I think that's really great, too, because that's, like, the world forgetting about magic. Yeah, yeah, and then it it jumps into, like, okay, now we're in the present. There's, like, it's only science now. And it's funny, because in the beginning of the movie, that's when Tilda Swinton's character Mm. was saying that stories used to be about mythology and kings and Mm -hmm. um, all of these things, and... As time goes on, they're becoming more and more about science. Yeah, exactly. And exactly. so then what happened is the stories became more and more, like, less and less magical. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find the actress name, but I can't seem to find it anywhere. Which one? The one who played, the, the one who played Sheba, Lady Queen, um, Queen Sheba. Like, they, they, have, they have their lineup all weird on IMDb page. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you about... You know, it starts like like how Tillerson said it, like legends and mythology and everything, and then like it like it, and it it almost like it narrows it further and further down where it's just like oh there's these are just like two people or two beings who just love each other, mm-hmm. and that's that is what the story is like these two people. Well, it's interesting too to me in the beginning is that she saw two different beings mm-hmm. and reacted to them physically yeah um but you don't get a a full sense of were they real or weren't they and also like Mm -hmm. if they were does Mm. she have some of that magical bloodline in her well i okay with that being said uh let me find because i saw i saw something from the imdb page um the name alatia uh Uh, alathea alathea let me see. Well, it's a, it's a it's ancient Greek for truthful. Um, Alatia. Okay, Alatia is named after the. Okay, okay. Alatia is named after Alatia, the Greek goddess of truth, also known in Roman mythology as uh, Virtus. So maybe that might be like maybe that's kind of like a small way of being like kind of in a way. You know, she has some type of mysticism in her, some type of magic in her, and maybe that's maybe that's why she can actually see these things these these beings but mm-hmm. she just talk chalks it up like an overactive imagination right you know that's so. what i think um which you know when i think about it it doesn't really bother me that they didn't explore it because that's not really the point of the movie it just kind of like leaves the audience to be like hmm, i wonder right exactly 
Yeah. Um, Which is what we like. <laughs> exactly. Um, what like and earlier in the in our non spoiler review, I had mentioned about the visuals. Man, I love the fucking visuals of this movie. I feel like I feel like I need to be on something. <laughs> To like, not to necessarily have to to watch it, but I want to be on some type of hallucinogenic just to be like, whoa, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's why George Miller did it like that, purposely for people to get high and watch it. Maybe. I want to. I want to see an interview with him. He's like, yeah, I intentionally made people to get stoned and watch it, or whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you fancy. Mm-hmm. You know, not alcohol because alcohol's not cool, kids. It's all about the good drugs. Oh man! <laughs> what? Am I am I wrong? Or am I right? No, I'm right. I'm right. Thank you. I'm right. <laughs> Another thing I like about this movie yes. is that it uh, explores some harsh realities. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We're selling this as like a very beautiful story. It's like no, it's like some realistic shit at times. Yeah, like the first story is definitely about losing love and being forgotten, right? And it kind of mm-hmm. sucks for the gin. Yeah. Um. But then the second story is like, I think that's more about like greed and self being uh, selfish. Self-important. Yeah, yeah. self-important. Yeah. Um, but of course, he's still. It also has like the the brother who's slow, mm-hmm. and in one way, I was happy that like they're like, oh, they have like you know, basically like a BBW kink in it. But like, oh yeah, <laughs> but like. I felt like that sucks because they're with this mm. guy who's like he's like half a brain or some shit. Yeah. yeah. So to me it was kind of like a like a kick in the like a kick in the head or something. Yeah. Um, I felt like you're gonna say a kick in the dick. No. Um and then the third story was about like giving yourself away to somebody and um Basically, that was a different kind of entrapment. Yeah, like... Man, that shit was so heartbreaking to watch. That, like... The Jin, like, this whole time had been wanting to be released, right? He wanted... He needed, like, the three wishes to be... To happen so he can be set free. And then, like... The one possibility that it could it could actually happen and it could be like with somebody that he like first time like truly loves that person says i wish i could just forget you and like that's so like it's it's so funny because that's that's such a i think that's such a passionate and like love thing to, to say. say yeah mm-hmm. especially like when you hate somebody because i mean you and i have been in relationships where like the person like you or the per or you or the person or my me and the person will like say the most hateful shit to be like like in a way to make that person disappear mm-hmm. and this person like literally did it <laughs> yeah and it was like in a, it was like at a time of like just this is gonna make me sound like a guy obviously but it's like okay just calm down, just calm down. <laughs> and no woman ever wants to hear calm down no. that just gets more angry yeah <laughs> well no man does either oh to hear calm down oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah but i'm trying to be you know i'm trying to be the ultra feminist <laughs> Yeah. By saying that women don't like to be told to be calm no, down. No, no, to agree that men are trash. <laughs> and we'll say shit like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because feminists, they, they scissor each other, right? 
<laughs> I'm glad you thought that was. I funny. know. I just threw all that away. Like, God, we're fucking disgusting. <laughs> um, I think. Hmm. I think. I, I think. I think I'll agree with. I think not. I think. So I'll agree with you that. Um, to me the. To me, the first, then the first. I'm sorry. The third story was my favorite story, right? Mm-hmm. And I think because I'm such, I'm such a passionate person, 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 person. There you go, passionate person. I'm tired, and <laughs> <laughs> and I, that story is so relatable. But I really do love that first story as well because it's so like, just wildly crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, all this kind of stuff. I kind of wish that first story was a little bit longer though. Yeah, me too. Yeah, and the second one. Um, I did enjoy the second one. I felt like that second one went on a little too long. It in did. Some cases. Yeah, it did. Because yeah. it went on for generations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, also, mm-hmm. I like how they both learned about each other. Mm-hmm. Because after all the stuff he had been through and while they were talking, he was like, you are like... It's my luck I get the most unimaginative person who doesn't even know what to wish for. Yeah. And um, I think he learned that you don't have to be outwardly passionate to be a passionate person. Yeah. And. Um, like she was she was passionate in her own right. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think he learned to be respectful mm. and to understand on a different level. Yeah. Which she really needed. And she learned to... Like, because she was scared of everything. And that's why she was more interrogating him. Yeah, yeah. Like, so what happened in this story? Or you're holding back on me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think she finally realized after his third story, like... So you truly understand what love is. Yeah. And I've never experienced that. And I really want to. Yeah, and so that's what she makes that wish, you know, for him to fall in love with her. And that, like, and like you said in the in the non spoiler section, that was kind of like that was kind of like the problem with for you. That was that was somewhat of the problem of a, it was such a hard hard switch. Mm-hmm. It okay. was all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, also, it's like she didn't really learn from his third story. Yeah, yeah. Right, because he was so in love with that third woman mm-hmm. that he was willing to put himself in a bottle. Yeah. And which is kind of like what she it was kind of like what she she had been doing her not for her whole life, but like especially after the after she lost that child and mm-hmm. after the divorce of her first husband. Mm-hmm. She kind of was she kind of did the same thing but more like metaphorically speaking. Right. Yeah. Like mentally and emotionally she was in a bottle, but I mean like she basically was asking him to do that again yeah yeah by asking him to love her yeah and it wasn't going to be a natural thing like he wasn't naturally in love with her Mm -hmm. at that time yeah but obviously he he grew into it he grew to love her yeah yeah that sounds kind of creepy you're gonna grow to love me (laughs) it's very like reverse beauty and the beast yeah it is holy shit you're absolutely right and, they, and, they, and there were times where she would say something and it would like really piss him off. Not like he would get violent towards her, but he would obviously have like, it would like trigger hurt. him in yeah, a way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, before before we finish off this segment, um, what did you think about like the last, I, I guess you can say maybe like the third act where they're like they're out in the world, like experiencing each other and like living their lives. I think out of everything, mm. 
that was more my favorite than mm. even the stories. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, why? Um, I guess in a way, I kind of feel like that. Mm-hmm. Like, like I bottle myself up. Yeah. And um, it's just nice to be able to see someone who does the same thing, like getting respect from someone and giving it back in return. Like mm. there's like a natural level of like of love that people most people don't understand like even when my kids talk about dating or whatever they're like yeah my friends love each other i'm like no they don't (laughs) (laughs) yeah like you don't know what love is like even most adults don't really know what it is yeah that's true um you don't know what love is i know what love is i know what's cool (laughs) (laughs) so um for me that's like the the love and respect that was shown in that third act, mm-hmm. and then also the 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 sadness, like I got oh, when, when they had to go when they had to part ways when she found him in the basement. Oh yeah, that part was. I thought when that scene happened, I was like, "Holy shit, did he just die?" Like I know, that I thought it. that too. Yeah, I would have been like, "Wow, that's a fucked up <laughs> movie playing with my emotions <laughs> like that," but. Yeah, at that time, I had become so fully invested, um, and I think that's why I said the movie. Could, I felt like the movie could have gone longer because in that third act, still told I was even more invested mm-hmm. in what was going to happen because I because uh, I was like I want to see what happens now to them since like essentially he's free but not so free, mm-hmm. you know. But like, how are they going to like live together? How are they going to coexist mm-hmm. um, together? And I'm kind of glad that. They didn't really have to resolve into like stupid hijinks like, oh, he's got to meet her parents or, uh, oh, no, no, she had no siblings or like, oh, no, like, oh, how, 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 how are her friends going to react where Mm -hmm. here's this dude, you know, out of nowhere. What does he do for a living? You know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go that route just to be like, no, let's just focus on them and their relationships. You know, they did kind of bring up uh, that a little bit. Um, There was a part where they brought up racism. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i i i had i had a bit of an issue with that but obviously i was looking at it at a surface level not looking at it on a deeper level like how you took it because mm-hmm. I, obviously i was just like oh cool rage that's how i'm starting to feel right now <laughs> <laughs> i um i kind of liked it because it didn't just show racism it was basically like both of these two older women were toxic yeah and they didn't like anything yeah so racism was just par for the course because they're bigots probably on every single level yeah and they'll tell you they hate tea and then tell you the next person they love it probably yeah yeah exactly um so when i got to the close <laughs> this this is gonna get your idea how stupid i was while watching this movie where she like wishes for his freedom mm-hmm. she's like i want you to be free and then like it like you know it like face the black and i was so stuck on the whole 3000 years that when it said 3 years later for some reason i thought it said 300 years later oh. <laughs> and when they showed her again i was like oh i guess she's kind of living longer but why is it this doesn't look like the future this looks like 3 years later what the fuck oh it's 3 years later <laughs> <laughs> but i thought it, i thought it was very sweet that come to find out that like he comes back to her every three years um and he and he tries to spend as much time as possible with her um there was a good 30 seconds where 
she like closes she sees him she closes her eyes and counts to three mm-hmm. there's a good 30 seconds or something like that like within those within like those couple of shots mm-hmm. that i was like oh he's probably not like really there yeah you know and i and i kind of thought i won't say kind of i had thought that like okay if he ends up like this this is a fucked up movie but i really i still really liked it however i'm a fucked up individual because he didn't end it like that he ended on an actual happy note like no he's there like they're together i don't think it's because you're a fucked up individual i think that we've had so many creators like we're so advanced after having more than 100 years of film and like visual storytelling that Mm -hmm. people do end things on a fucked up way yeah so if they don't give you a lot to go on you can make your own conclusions and then told you're wrong in the next second like yeah yeah exactly. it could have easily gone the other way yeah and and i will say that if you folks have watched it and if you haven't fucking go watch it um the way how it ends it's a very studio ghibli Yes, like 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 you can swear like Hideo Miyazaki had directed the final shot, where he like takes the soccer ball, kicks it up a couple of times, and then passes it to the guy like in this kind of cool way. Well, he doesn't pass it. He um he like ricochets it like off a oh, uh, yeah. a lamp or something like on mm-hmm. a pole, and I was just like, wow, that's a that's a Studio Ghibli ending if I ever seen one. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it ended it ended on a good note. It ended on a really happy note, and honestly. I would not mind watching this again. Yeah, actually, me too. I, I really can't, actually I can't I really can't wait to watch it. Actually, um, when I got home, I told my roommate I was like, "Yo, dude, you gotta watch this movie." And he's like, "What's it about?" And I told him about it, and I said it has like kind of like a psychedelic kind of twist to it a couple of times, like with the visuals. He's like, "All right, I'll check it out." The Saturday because he likes he likes stuff like that. Yeah, but honestly, I would totally fucking watch this again. You guys should have a bro date. I know, right? But I want to be high as fuck. <laughs> Pop an acid tab, be like, all right, let's just try this. Fucking 30 years later, I'm all crying. What's wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I say definitely go check it out. Uh, Kelsey, what do you say? Go check it out. Go check it out. Uh, it's Joe Bob says, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> Three and a half stars. Three and a half stars. Check it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, what do we got next? Next we are going to do our variety time. So it's, uh, who keeps killing Quixote? Quixote! The mote. You know, or as white people like to say, quicksote. Really? No. Oh, okay, I'm like, those people are idiots. <laughs> Um, all right, so since we are doing a since our geriatric cinematic, it's a Terry Gilliam film. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always, you know, being a, a lower film and a, and a person who enjoys Terry Gilliam's work, um, pretty familiar with Terry Gilliam's bad luck with making movies. Like he always has a hard problem. Something always happens that it doesn't allow him to make certain films for example there's like a number of unrealized projects which is um this uh let's see the sissus and the minotaur uh he was originally supposed to do Watchmen. he was originally supposed to do a scanner darkly uh another unrealized project is the defective tech defective detective a, a Connecticut yankee in king arthur's court tale of two cities time minus two good omens untitled gorillas movie and the world jones made 
so that's a number of projects that he has not done. Guillermo del Toro is the same way too. He has a number of projects that just never been fully realized. Um, so Terry Gilliam's history with bad luck and film, uh, for example, um, the, Brazil was caught in the crossfire between Gilliam and Universal. Uh, who in the wisdom felt it would would work better with happy end with a happy ending. This is from an article from the Guardian. It's called "Why Terry Gilliam Cursed with Bad Luck." Another film that's very famous that he's worked on that was that was plagued with bad luck was the doctor uh, the mag the imaginarium of dr parnassi parnassus that parnassus which famously was to star heath ledger but he died during production Mm -hmm. so they got like johnny depp and jude law like he was able to like mingle his way around to like incorporate why the actors are changing um in the movie um, not all of them are jinx. The Fisher King was nominated for five Oscars. Uh, Twelve Monkeys and the Brother Gilm- Brothers Grimm, which also starred Ledger, fair- fared well at the box office. However, however, one of his most famous curse projects was the man who killed Don Quixote. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I found this article published in 2020 by uh, from the Telegraph. The article is called "The Curse of Don Quixote: A Timeline of." everything that went wrong with terry gilliam's film now to give you guys a smidgen of history it took him 30 years to make this movie shit 33 decades to make this fucking movie Mm -hmm. so i'm going ahead and read you read to you some pieces of or some excerpts from the uh, article so at the time the united states voted in four different presidents princess diana went from marriage to divorce to death British children cycled from the Game Boy to the Tamagotchis, the Pokemon cards, and the fidget spinners. But through all that ever-shifting change, the Terry Gilliam was still plugging away his Don Quixote movie. Dubbed the most cursed film of all time, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote entered the cult cult fantasy director's brain in 1991, when it it has stayed permanently lodged in an an operable tumor explicitly surviving lawsuits, deaths, and natural disasters along the way. So, it was a the story idea for the film, a loose retelling of the classic Miguel de uh, Cervantes story. Gilliam envisioned a time-bending adventure in which a modern man named Toby, to be played by various incarnations by the likes of Johnny Depp, Ewan McGregor, and Jack O'Connell, encounters a 17th-century nobleman of significance uh, who believes himself to be Quixote, a knight who must reintroduce chivalry to the world. Following an almost never-ending series of half-starts, hold-ups, and cast changes, Gilliam's film is finally released in 2018. In the wake of a... Oh, fuck. In the wake of an angry backlash against Gilliam himself for calling the Me Too movement a witch hunt. Shit. (laughs) Oh, I know, right? Okay, so here's where we start. 1997. Gillen's first read of Don Quixote in the late 1980s with his plans materializing in 1991 to adapt the book to for cinema. Gillen began properly putting the film together in 1997, shortly after the release of his sci-fi thriller, Twelve Monkey. Now, Twelve Monkey was a modest success, right? Right now, it has... Uh, Kelsey and I even reviewed it uh, with our buddy James. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, a mo- it's a modern classic. And sought out European financing after... Uh, being scared by by his experience in Hollywood. Um, speaking to Neon Magazine at the time, Gilliam said, The years I've wasted on this one. I was so frustrated with Hollywood. I went after European money needing $20 million. 
and they said, you're on. But I found out I needed more money. Sean Connery was mooted by Coyote is air and Sean is earth. So I backed away. I saw Nigel Hawthorne as Coyote and Danny DeVito as Sancho Panza. And I uh, dehittered because I committed to another project. In 1998, Gilliam had changed his mind about the adaptation, introducing a time travel element to a script co-written by Tony uh, Grissoni, in which a 20th century man producer is a 20th sorry 20th century movie producer is sent back in history and meets Don Quixote. Gilliam's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas star Johnny Depp signed on to play the modern role. I remember seeing pictures of this like growing up i remember seeing pictures of johnny depp as, as his character with the veteran actor uh french actor jean rochefort uh cast as quixote christopher ecclestein miranda richardson and depp's then partner vanessa paredes were set to be in the movie as well 2000 mm-hmm. speaking to the fantastic dreams gil <laughs> <laughs> I would say Guillermo. Uh, Gilliam said that while he was deep in pre-production, there was still quite a bit left to do in advance of the starting film, including somewhat scarcely significant accent training for, for both Rochefort and Paradis, uh, the former still looking, still working on his English and the French Paradis trying to convince as a Spaniard. I think when you're saying Rochefort, I think it's Rockford. Oh, Rockford? Rockford. Oh, yeah, my, my mistake. I'm sorry. Rockford. Rockford. Thank you. I know I'm such an idiot. See, there's this whole thing about like uh, the French actor learning to have, be a convention span- convincing Spaniard. Mm-hmm. You should have took the Sean Connery route in Highlander 1. Just call yourself a Spaniard. Just have an Irish accent. Fuck it. I don't think most Americans would know the difference. <laughs> I know, right? It was all like, you know, he probably would have pulled like a Mexican accent. But like, yeah, it's a Spanish? Of course. It's a Spaniard <laughs> accent. So, um... Gilliam said it's about coordinating all things. It's about coordinating to make sure that people aren't stepping on others' toes. And we've got to get the rest of the cast together. The secondary characters are still to be cast. I hope it's going to be fun. It's been such a long slog to get to this point today. Oh, for today. That's what he said during an interview. 2000. Uh, this happens in... So that so that part happened in June of 2000. This comes from Ju- in July of 2000. So these some, some of these run about the same year. While, um, oh, sorry. So for July, with cast and crew production on Qu- Don Quixote was intended to begin in autumn of 2000, with the majority of the film, 32 million euros, uh, budgeted, coming from German financer Rainer Mokret. Um, he claimed that he had access to millions from a private German tax shelter fund, but then he didn't. Re- he didn't revealing Guillermo. Uh, sorry, he saying Guillermo Gilliam revealing to Gilliam within weeks of planned filming that he was no longer able to secure the necessary funds. That's a common thing in Hollywood, especially with like these questionable financiers and shit like that, mm-hmm. or financiers. Weeks, just boom, we got no money. Fuck, we gotta get money, like now, you mm-hmm. know? Um, August 2000. While budget salvation quickly arrived in the form of a second German backer, the production company KC Median, the project hit another roadblock. Johnny Depp wanted more money. Uh, <laughs> I was, when I read that, I was like, Kelsey's going to roll her eyes at this one. <laughs> so apparently what happened was Depp had made millions shooting two Hollywood-funded projects, Blow and The Man Who Cried, with Don Quixote, while Don Quixote was in pre-production and suddenly began to believe he was being exploited by the film's producers. 
Johnny was already becoming obsessional about the film, but when the actual amount was mentioned, he went ate shit. <laughs> Gilliam told the Guardian. In the end, Gilliam reduced his salary to bump up De- Depp's own salary. Mm-hmm. September 2000. The man who killed Don Quixote began filming in late September 2000 with Gilliam and his cast and crew setting up their cameras in a remote region of Spain, but north of Madrid. Rockford arrived complaining that he was feeling under the weather. There was a little time uh, for the cast to take to take part in a full script read through before filming was due to commence. And the set happened to be located right next to a military base with loud planes flying over daily. So they had to like get the shit going. Like uh-huh. ASAP, right? Yep. Then a flash flood happened, <laughs> washing away the entire two days into production. The entire set gone. October 2000. <laughs> While the film set was uh, undergoing repairs, Gilliam shot where he could, but Rockford's health continued to uh, deteriorate. While crew members refused to plant the ailing 70-year-old on a horse due to safety concerns, Rockford insisted he could continue. After filming on the horse for an hour and being lifted down from the animal by two support crew, Rockford <laughs> was airlifted to a Paris hotel where he was diagnosed with a double hernia. Wow. <laughs> Kelsey's eyes are widening. She's like, what? A day later, representatives from Casey Median arrived on the Quixote, on the Don Quixote site to watch the first dailies from the film. On Monday, 60 Germans came who were the German half of the money. Mm-hmm. Gilliam told Empire, and at that point, we know we're dead. We know we're over. The film's insurance company ended up, oh, so they stopped the movie. Like, that was it. So what happened was that the film's insurance company ended up paying about uh, $60 million to cover the cost. Mm-hmm. 2001. Speaking to The Guardian four months later, Gilliam expressed his devastation for, over the faithful shoot, revealing that Casey Medium had requested he recast Rockford and restart shooting within four weeks of the production shutdown, but that he declined. He also said that scheduling con- conflict for both Depp and Paradis went uh, meant the film would be unlikely to shoot in 2001 2003 <laughs> following the tumultuous production of his 1988 film The Adventures of Baron Munchausen Munch- Munchausen thank you Gilliam and the, had the shooting of every one of his films captured on video by a documentary crew as a result the disastrous production of Don Quixote resulted in 2003 documentary Lost in La, Man- Lost in La Mancha Gilliam, Gilliam gave the film his blessing Meanwhile, in the years since Don Quixote's cancellation, Gilliam had lost the rights to the project, but told the AV Club that he was in negotiations to get him back. May 2005. <laughs> While 2003 saw Gilliam hint at a return of the world of Don Quixote, he ended up making The Brothers Grimm instead, a film that inspired his own behind-the-scenes chaos, but told The Guardian in 2005 that he had hoped the, he had hoped the project would give him the, the industry cachet to get his passion project financed again. Unfortunately, Brothers Grimm was an enormous critical and commercial disaster, destroying Gilliam's hopes of a big-budget Coyote redo. That didn't stop producer Jeremy Thomas after, from talking up the project. However, hinting at 2005 Cannes Film Festival that he was interested in raising the funds for his resurrection. Got to hmm. take a drink of water. a lot of work here <laughs> september 2010 so we've done five years now 
By it took two, more than five years. Uh, <laughs> well, from, from the last thing. Huh? By 2007, the rights of Don Quixote had been returned to Gilliam, leaving him to declare his intentions to resurrect the film. But Depp began to uh, deter over his involvement, telling Ain't It Cool in 2009 that his dance card is pretty nutty for the next couple of years. So I hate to put Gilliam in a position or ask to be in a position where he have to wait for me. That would be wrong. With Depp out, Gilliam cast Hugh McGregor to place him, replace him and I, Robert Duvall, for the role of Coyote. Fun- funding was then secured by 2010 start date until that fell through too. By 2012, movement had once again slowed down. And it was announced by co-screenwriter Don Cresino, uh, sorry, Cresoni, that McGregor, McGregor had left the project. Cresoni told Money Into Light that us survivors of Don Q are in a strange kind of dysfunctional family. <laughs> Every year since we have rewritten the screenplay and we've got quite a good at it, we will be pleased to hear, you'll be pleased to hear that Don is back up and in the saddle and ready to ride under two colors. August 2014. <laughs> speaking, of rap, speaking to the rap in 2014, Gilliam said that he had finally gathered new financing for Coyote with plans to shoot the film in early 2015. He also said that the film, sorry, he said that the film had become a metatextual commentary on his own experience with, with the project, announcing that, he, that it is now set in present day. With, Toby Car- with the Toby character, a Hollywood producer who had previously made a Don Quixote film. This is what he said. I keep incorporating my own life into it and <laughs> shifting it, G- uh, Gilliam said. The basic underlining premise of the version of, of the version Johnny was involved in was that he actually was going to be transported back into the 17th century. And now it all takes place, sorry, and now it all takes place now in contempt, it's contemporary. It's more about how movies can damage people. He's putting a lot of his experience in this fucking film now, right? Mm-hmm. And for a while, it did. John Hurt claimed in September 2014 that he had been cast as Coyote, right? We've already, now we got, what, three? This is our third, fourth Coyote? While two months later, Jack O'Connor was announced to play Toby. Uh, Gilliam told Rolling Stones, I'm beginning to actually think if it doesn't work this time, I'm going to dump it. I've wasted far too much of my life doing it. 2016, September. (laughs) (laughs) Going against Gilliam's word, he ended up sticking with the project despite an alleged January 2015 start date coming and going. And in mid-2015, Gilliam announced that Don Quixote was included in a new production deal that he had signed with Amazon Studios. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Amazon Studios. With his intention being to fully shoot the film in 2016. By then, both Hurt and O'Connell had departed the project. The former diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, O'Connell ended up being replaced by Adam Driver and Michael Palin, assigned on as Coyote. According to press release, the film stars uh, Driver as Toby and an advertising executive once again changed the story who once directed a Coyote movie in Spain while in the country filming a commercial Toby is given a copy of the film by a gypsy and encouraged to revisit the village in which the film was shot there he discovers that the townspeople have become corrupted by the forms of evil and encounters the elderly man he once cast as Don Quixote in his film who now believes he is Don Quixote time jumping Avengers ensue so this happens this does happen in the movie Mm -hmm. okay have I seen it? What I think about it? 
Kelsey's going to have to ask that question when I'm done. <laughs> Filming was due to begin in September 2016 until, true to form, it hit a snag. Uh, reported by Vulture, <laughs> Gillian revealed the project had been postponed it. I had this producer, a Portuguese chap, who claimed he had got all the money together in time. And a week, and a few weeks ago, he proved that he didn't have the money. <laughs> we all started marching forward. It's not dead. I will be dead before this film is. <laughs> February 2017. <laughs> Against all odds, the man who killed Don Quixote finally, for real, the sign begins production in February 2017. Over two decades in Skillium set the project in motion. Joining Driver and the cast are Jonathan Price, who has now replaced Palin as Coyote, Stella Sarsgaard, and Olga Kurilenko. The only cast to uh, stay with the film since the earliest inception was Pedro Pedro Amalvor's muse, Rosie De Palma, who posted an image of the film script and and on Instagram with the caption, Finally, we're here. But it wouldn't be Gilliam's project without at least one mishap with the director taking to Facebook in June to last year to deny crew members desecrated a 12th century Portuguese convert during filming. Jesus Christ. <laughs> there was not one iota of disrespect involved. He wrote, people should begin by getting the facts before hollering hysterically. I remember seeing that post. June 2017. And overjoyed, Gilliam took to Facebook this summer in summer 2017 to announce, to the, announce that production had finally wrapped in on Coyote, declaring that any re- any sensible people would have given up years ago. But sometimes a pig-headed dreamers uh, win in the end. So thank you to all of the ill-paid fantasies and believers who have joined to make this long-standing dream a reality. So he's stoked. The film is... Pretty much made. Yes, it's wrapped. It's done. Okay. Is that the end of it? Well... Shortly after Gil- after Gilliam announced the film's production, French studio uh, Alpha Films alleged that the film was illegal and they own the rights to the Don Quixote story. What? <laughs> Remember the Portuguese chap? Mm-hmm. Uh, back in 2016? Turns out he was uh, Alpha's producer, Paulo Blanco- Branco, who now claims that Gilliam worked, uh, worked behind the scenes to find fel- funding elsewhere. 2018 April the announcement that the man who killed Don Quixote would close 2018's Cannes Film Festival led Bronco to seek legal action against the festival claiming that the film cannot be shown without his and uh, Alphama's film's approval according to Deadline a French court ruled in 2017 that Bronco did hold rights to the movie but could not stop the movie from being shot and the appeals court is due to make it a final decision on the matter on May 7th, two weeks before Quixote's proposed Cannes debut, right? Mm-hmm. I remember reading about this like, oh my God, is this movie is this movie going to see the light of day? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the festivals, so the festival had declined to pull the film from their lineup, said, uh, but said in a statement that will respect the court's decision once it's announced. Okay? Um... So there's like a long quote that they say above all the kind of stuff like, yeah, we're going to do it. We're, we're going to show it. We believe in artists and all that kind of crap. Okay. 2018. Gillian was hospitalized. Oh, man. <laughs> with what at the time was reported was a stroke, but which he later said it felt more like a stub toe. On the very same day, Amazon announced it was withdrawing 
from the 2015 agreement to distribute the film in the U.S. So Amazon's like, fuck this. The decision to appear to be in response to concerns over Gilliam's ongoing legal battle with Bronco, concerns that were soon proved wholly well-placed. The man who killed Don Quixote was released in a limited fashion in Europe and China and finally played for a single night last week. Uh, sorry, in the, in the final weeks in, in, uh, in the U.S. theaters. Mm-hmm. So only for one week. One week or one night? Uh, oh, uh, oh, no, for a single night. Mm-hmm. Is for a single night. Okay. June 2018. <laughs> While the film was eventually screened at Cannes, days after that kind of stroke, and to lukewarm reviews, the men who killed Don Quixote re- continued to wreak havoc. Or wreak havoc. Thank you. Just weeks later, Gillian lost his rights to film after after to sorry lost his rights to the film after the Paris court of appeal ruled in favor of the former producer Paulo Bronco, who sued the Python star over rights of the project. Gilliam had <laughs> had been ordered to pay Alphama Bronco's company eight thousand seven hundred fifty one euros. <laughs> Fucking joke. In fees. <laughs> All that bullshit. <laughs> the ruling means that the rights of the film belong to Alphama. Any exploitation of the film up until now has been completely illegal and without the uh, authority of Alphama, Bronco told Screen Daily, we will be seeking le- sorry, we'll be seeking damages with interest from all the people involved in illegal production and above all, all those who were complicit in its illegal explo- exploitation. We're holding everyone responsible. Is that the end of it? No. January 2020. As if the film needed more any any more problems, Gilliam faced angry criticism early earlier earlier that month while on the Don Quixote promotional trail. In an interview with the Independent, he labeled the Me Too movement a witch hunt, described Harvey Weinstein alleged victims as very ambitious adults who make choices and said he was tired as a white male of being blamed for everything that is wrong with the world. Okay. Kelsey. Hmm. Ask me if I've seen this movie. Have you seen it? I have seen this movie. I'm a Terry Gilliam fan. I love Brazil. I love uh, Fear and Loathe in Las Vegas. I quite enjoyed The Fisher King. I did enjoy parts of Time Bandits. Love 12 Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Did I enjoy this movie? No, it was not good. (laughs) And now we are going to do our geriatric cinematic of 1991's The Fisher King. Okay, Jack, we're on the air in five, four, three. Two, one. Hey, it's Monday morning, and I'm Jack Lucas. In the world of talk radio, Jack Lucas was king. Look, I said I want an offer they can forget it. To stay on top, he did whatever he had to. Forgive me! But one day, Jack went too far. It was Mr. Lucas's offhand remark that seemed to have fatal impact on Mr. Malnick. No matter what I have, it feels like I have nothing. 
yo, what's going on? And just when he was about to give up on his own life, he stumbled into Perry's. And I am that degenerate and remove your presence. I like New York in June. How about you? You know who I am? A hood ornament. No. I'm a knight on a special quest. A quest. And I need help. The synopsis is, a former radio DJ finds redemption in helping a deranged homeless man who was an unwitting victim of a mistake he made. Directed by Terry Gilliam, written by Richard Legrivenace, it stars Jeff Bridges, Mercedes Rule, Robin Williams, and Amanda Plummer. Hi. Uh, the Fisher King. The Fisher King. Get my levels checked. All right. All right. All right. You know what? Didn't see this movie beforehand. No. I seen like bits and pieces of it, but um. But that's what I was, because you seemed interested in it. Like it was the first time watching it, but then you got up and made yourself a sandwich. Mm-hmm. And like we're like kind of like oh I've seen this before, so I couldn't tell if you'd seen it before or if you hadn't. <laughs> Like I said, I've seen bits and pieces of it, but um, I I did enjoy it. It took a minute for me to really get involved with the movie, and I, and that's not from like taking away of like oh I made myself a sandwich. It was just like, all right, I'm with it. I'm kind of going into it, but like I I want to get into like the story, the whole weird story of it and everything. I, I pretty much wanted. I waited for Robin Williams to show up. Mm-hmm. And when he did show up, I was like, "All right, I'm invested now," because it's it's fucking Robin Williams. I love Robin Williams. Yeah. Um. But you know, the most important thing is no one gives a shit about what I think. What does Kelsey think about this movie? I like this movie a lot. Did you? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, before I before you go into why, do you think you like it a lot because uh, cadence? like sat down was watching it with you like she was totally invested in this movie and i don't know if maybe that has something to do with it or did you like it because you were like you were just enjoying it no i just enjoyed it okay all right i know she was sitting there watching it but she was out of my line of sight so Mm -hmm. most of the time i didn't even remember she was there okay so what did you like about this movie look i know the trailer kind of sold it as more magical than it was yes but what I liked about it was the realism of the sadness. Oh, yeah. That's what... Oh, yeah. That's what everything boils down to for me lately. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. But, <laughs> like, I like the issues that the people were having that were real. Yeah, like, they were real about it, but there was, like, a level of, like... It's not the end. It's not dire. It's Yeah, and, like, Robin Williams... Because like this movie is in 90, 1991, so it's not gonna it's not gonna have like incredible CGI. I don't think this movie has any CGI whatsoever. Um, uh, you know, not like uh, three thousand years of long ing. <laughs> um, but like Robin Williams really has to sell the idea of like we're in a fantasy, we're like all part of a play, we're on an adventure. I have to. Uh, save the damsel of distress. I have to get this princess to love me, kind of thing. I have to fight the knight, and that kind of works in juxtaposition to like what 
uh, Jeff Bridges' character has to go through. Mm-hmm. Like his his evil knight is in, is himself. Mm-hmm. The damsel he's supposed to fall in love with is the woman that he's been living with, but never like truly opening up to her. Mm-hmm. You know, he has to find his way to like realize what he needs in life and what he loves. And just like how where Robin Wynn's character is more fantasy in that sense, but in the end he has to have something physical to get him over that hump. Mm-hmm. Jeff Bridges is more realistic, but he has to get into the fantasy of it to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Which I thought like I think it worked really well on a, on a very like deep meaning level with yeah. this movie. And it all did kind of center around that that holy grail. <laughs> Oh, you talking with the trophy that was yeah. from his 19, daughter? Yeah, like 1923 or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so what did you think of, of the performance from uh, the cast? Uh, I thought the performance was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, Amanda Plummer mm-hmm. plays awkward really well. Oh, absolutely! Like yeah, to the point where you're like, she was probably autistic, but like. Oh, like it wasn't like that wasn't an act. That's how she really is. No, 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 no. Like she acted really well. Like her mm. character was probably autistic. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, but like, she wasn't um like a dead fish the whole time. Oh no, no. Well, Which she, is interesting because they kind of pl- almost wrote it kind of like they wanted her to be that way, yeah. but she was had so many quirks. Like, yeah, and she's like kind of like slowly unveiling herself through like her quirks and stuff like that as she starts like loosening up um in the movie because she is very like private very like uh suspicious of everybody and, and like, solitary yeah and solitary and everything like that which it, it kind of reminded me a lot of, there are a number of things in this movie that actually reminded me of three thousand years of longing mm-hmm. um one is amanda palmer how she kind of looked like Till the swing, yeah. We're like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, and she even had the same hair color, almost. Yeah, and like the glasses were kind of similar too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even like the 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 storytelling of like love and finding love in unexpected places, and how like that kind of like opens the world to you, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to like the movie that we, the Three Thousand Years of Longing. Well, also Three Thousand Years of Longing intentionally had different stories all in one and this one mm-hmm. i think it was subtle more subtle but oh, yeah. it did had have different stories yeah um that were all interconnected like the story of the dj yeah the story of um robin williams's character mm-hmm. and then you also have um the story of the um the video store owner yeah, uh, and Mercedes then, uh, rule. Yeah, and then um, Amanda Plummer's character too. Yeah. They all kind of are separate, but they intermingle. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I even like that part where um, Amanda Plummer's character and Plummer, Plummer, sorry, Amanda Plummer's character and Mercedes rule. How like they were having that moment where like they were talking to each other about like love and relationships and everything, which clearly would fail the Bechdel test, um, but just like them really just kind of opening up you know having a cigarette having a few drinks and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. then like when jeff bridges character jeff bridges character and rob williams character shows up like they're almost like their best of friends and stuff like that Mm -hmm. which i thought which it really opened up the idea of how amanda Plummer, like she just gets out of her shell like she is an enjoyable person to be around right yeah so i like that too um 
any thoughts on the directing? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nothing? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was waiting for you to be like, hello. <laughs> no, my thoughts on the directing are I really like how he pieced the story together because um, I think this type of story is easy to fuck up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, not only that, but they show sadness, but they also show light. Like, mm. one of my favorite scenes is when um, all four of them are in the restaurant. Oh, yeah, I think that's a great scene. Like, I love that. And, like, I think I was genuinely happy the way the way you would be if you had, like, an impromptu, like, moment with your daughter or something mm-hmm. like like she's like really like you you almost step outside of it and you can see it for what it is yeah and like and i do that with my kids all the time too i know i'm fucking weirdo but like you you have those moments with the girls either sometimes you have them when they're together sometimes you i think you have more when you have them separated like you you, you're able to focus on cameron or cadence Mm -hmm. and you have like those genuine moments that is something similar that we saw in uh, the fisher king yeah, but what I'm saying is um, the stepping out of it and looking at it part. Because mm-hmm. I do that a lot with mine. Like, oh, I, okay, I can I actually, gotcha. like, sit there and appreciate it Yeah. without, like, without taking it for granted, I guess. I get what you're saying. Yeah. And so, like, it was almost like even though that mo- moment in the movie wasn't mine, mm-hmm. um, like, I was able to, like, sit back and appreciate it and yeah. not take it for granted. Like, like, I felt like I was having that moment, too. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And, and I'd say that in the condescending way. I'm like, oh, okay. I like yeah, that. Like, um, I was actually playing hockey with broccoli at the same time. Chopsticks. It's <laughs> going back and forth. Yeah. Um, one scene that I absolutely love is the scene where um, they're at the New York train station. I forgot what it's called. What's the, the exact name of the place? Grand um, Central? Yeah, Grand Central Station. I absolutely love that scene because how how robin williams character perry sees liddy the amanda Plummer character lydia is it i thought it was liddy lydia is lydia um and like how they're like walking through the crowds but as they get oh, hit the mic again <laughs> <laughs> um as like they're walking through the crowds as they get further and further in the crowd the crowd starts dancing like doing mm, the waltz together yeah like that too i thought that scene was very fucking beautiful i found out that that scene wasn't supposed to be in the movie they were going to shoot something else like something smaller and uh tara gillum had a dream about something like that happening and he was like yeah i wonder if we can do this so like they he like replant he like rewrote it and planned it out and everything he's like all right let's see if we can try to do this scene and they did the scene and it's like one of the best scenes in the, in the whole movie yeah um but yeah i i have there have been plenty of times in my life where like i saw somebody who i was just like fucking heart eyes for her and or her or him or whatever mm-hmm and it's just like, oh my god! And then I can just picture like everybody just starts dancing around me, like mm-hmm. this is how this is how I would want to meet them, or this is how like my heart feels about them and stuff like that. So I felt very fucking connected with that scene. Also, with the way they were dancing around, and those two were the only ones actually walking. Mm-hmm. It kind of speaks to how people forget other people in the room whenever they're oh, so yeah. focused Absolutely, on like yeah. someone else or whatever. Absolutely. Um, so what did you think about the themes of this movie? Like, uh, like suicide and PTSD and like, 
you know, and, watching your loved one being murdered right in front of you. Like, and I'll, like a like a a plethora or like a rainbow of mental health issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked it. <laughs> it has a lot of opportunity to like really fumble the ball in all that in all that aspect. Mm-hmm. But no, it like it, it. It was handled. It wasn't handled in a sense that it was disrespectful. It was handled very tastefully, but also like this is how you can relate to this movie in some form or fashion. And also, these things can happen, and they don't have to devolve into a stereotype. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like like um, the scene where Robin Williams gets naked in Central Park. Uh huh. You almost expect something bad's gonna happen, and then it doesn't. Yeah. And it was just like a good scene. I like. Also, I, he had he had like a cute booty. His <laughs> round biscuit buns. Round biscuit buns. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if Robin Williams is listening right now in the afterlife, he would be fucking laughing his ass off. He'd be like, "Thank you, ma'am." <laughs> um, I feel like that. Would scene- you say, "Um, buttery"? Are oh you my God. buttering me up? <sighs> he would totally say that. <laughs> I'd be laughing my ass off too. Um, yeah, I I kind of feel like that scene was in that, that was improvised. Like maybe he wasn't supposed to get naked, or maybe he's supposed to take his shirt off. But he went like full Monty on that shit. I kind of feel like everything Robin Williams did was improvised. There's a story I heard a long time ago that uh, Robin Williams, because he's so animated when he talks mm-hmm. and when he does it, when he gets into his comedy. That the animators for Aladdin had a hard time keeping up with him mm-hmm. because his, his dialogue was so fast and so like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they they look at their they look at the actors' movements to be like, okay, this is how they would move their hands, their arms, or something like that, so that you can have a better sense of like, this is a real human being that I'm watching in a 2D or 3D fashion. Mm-hmm. And the animators had a hard time with it because Rob Williams is so fucking all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I can definitely see that even in this film because his character is supposed to be have some type of mental issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I feel like Terry Gillen was like, you read the script, right? Yes, I have. Okay, go. And like, that's it. <laughs> I have a hard time watching Robin Williams, especially now. There's oh, something about his blue eyes and the way mm-hmm. he shows pain through them. Yeah. Like, it hurts me every time. Well, yeah, I... I even if he doesn't intend yeah. for it to read through as like real pain, yeah, it's almost like you'd have to know anxiety or depression yourself to pick up on it type of pain. I think there was like a, I don't know if it was a quote from him or something that kind of, either it was a quote from him or some or something that makes me think of him, and I think this is why I like Robin Williams so much is that he said something about like the people who are making you laugh the hardest, they're the one who are hurting the most, mm-hmm. and they're using laughter to cover up that pain. Yeah, it, I'm obviously I'm paraphrasing or something like that, but I've always, I've always found found a connection with Robin Williams, even as a kid. Even though I'm not a fan of Hook, like I don't really like that movie. Yeah, but like I've seen plenty. And of also, it. you don't like Mrs. Doubtfire. Ugh, God, I don't like that movie either. And also, you don't like Jumanji. Well, you haven't seen. I've it. I've never really given it a chance. Cause I'm like, why? I I don't know. It's other. I I don't know. Did he make Flubber too? I've actually seen pieces of Flubber. Did you like that one? No, it was a bad movie. Okay. <laughs> so you don't love everything of his. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't love everything of his. I do some of, like his later work. Um, Autofocus. That's a great fucking thriller. Um, Insomnia is a great movie. Uh, what's another one he did? 
Um, what about that one that was like Patch or whatever? Oh, I'm sorry, it's not Autofocus. It's One Hour Photo. Autofocus is a completely different movie. Sorry. <laughs> one Hour Photo. Uh, what was the movie? Pat- Patches, right? I think it was Patches or Patch Adams or something. Patch Adams. Nope, that movie's dumb. I haven't seen that one. Uh, oh, phenomenal film. I got to show you Goodwill Hunting. Okay. That is an amazing film. He doesn't star in it, but he has a career-defining role in that movie. Mm-hmm. Also, like, Good Morning Vietnam and all this other kind of stuff. Uh, uh, there's another one where he plays an English teacher where, like, it's escaped me right now. But, um, yeah, like, whenever, but whenever I would watch him in something good. Oh, another great movie he's done. Um, World's Greatest Dad. Dark comedy by Bob, Bobcat Goldwith. Mm-hmm. Fuck that movie, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but following his career and watching him in all these movies and interviews and stuff like that, I always felt a connection with him. And when he died, he, he's his he's one of the celebrity deaths. It really hit me hard mm-hmm. because it was like everybody was like, of all people, him, mm-hmm. you know, and he had, you know, the way how he died was pretty fucked up and suicide and all that kind of stuff. So it was so watching him with this movie. Sorry, watching this movie. It had me kind of like rethink of all those things I've seen him in and what ultimately happened to him. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's why he really connected with that character, why he went like crazy with the character, but like he really felt something for him. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's that really great scene where he's walking uh, uh, the Lydia character home and she's like telling him like, this is what's going to happen and you're never going to call me again. And he's like hold on like you broke up with me we even had our first kiss you've already like dumped me oh no because she was like my stomach is hurting or something he's like yeah of course because you've already you know like had our first kiss and had sex and broke up within 30 seconds (laughs) yeah and like just like that whole part of him like talking to her just being like like here like like just let me talk let me just talk to you (laughs) he told her to shut up i like that (laughs) (laughs) the funny thing is like if a guy said that now to a woman like shut up I mean shut up blah 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 you know it would have been it would have been it probably would not have ended well and there was a small part of my mind I was like ooh that's not a good thing to say there was for me too but I think now like men would probably say with a different inflection than he did yeah, yeah like he meant like like shut up let me talk yeah but like I think now if some guy's like shut up oh yeah exactly that's different yeah exactly they'd probably be okay but yeah his character was very sweet and this is this is another movie where like i felt like it was going to end badly especially the fact that like his character gets attacked and almost like brutalized mm-hmm. i i honestly thought like oh wow are we going to end the movie with his death but it ended on a really happy note mm-hmm. and i really i really liked that movie i really liked how it ended me too um so with all that being said do you think this film still holds up yes because all of the themes are relevant to today. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you don't like his films, you're a fucking psycho. <laughs> um, it's funny how we mainly talked about Robin Williams and Amanda Palmer, but Jeff Bridges were like, yeah, he's all right. <laughs> I don't know why I get him and Don Johnson confused sometimes. They kind of do look alike at certain angles, especially like back then in the 90s with the long hair. They, they do kind of look alike. Yeah, well, I said Jeff Bridges the first time, and I was right. But when I was talking in the office today, I called him Don Johnson back. So I'm like, and I knew better. It just came out. Mm. But um, okay, God, he has such a sexy voice. 
Jeff Jeff Bridges? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. And and like that long strand of curly hair that keeps falling out. Yeah, he was looking good with that long hair. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, holy shit, Jeff Bridges being all handsome and shit. But he's got those small meathead eyes. That that's true. You know what? He looks like he looks like he would be the ugly brother to Kurt Russell. Yeah. <laughs> The ugly brother, but he's not very ugly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, he's so... Like, he's hot, but his brother's hotter? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hotter by, like, 15%, you know? Yeah. You know, his, like, you know, Jeff Bridges, who would get who would get the scraps, the scraps would be, like, models. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sorry, were you finished? Uh, we want to talk about his acting. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking about um, if this movie still holds up. Oh. Well, no, yeah, I did. I was okay. finished about that, but you're like, we didn't talk about the others. Yeah, we're fine. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, it seems like it seems like this movie, most of the focus is on. I mean, from an acting perspective, the this, the two standout stars were Robin Williams and Amanda Plummer. Yeah, I felt like Jeff Bridges and Mercedes Rule. Jeff Bridges carried. Jeff Bridges carried uh, uh, Robin Williams. Mercedes Rule kind of carried Amanda Plummer. Plummer, but also carried Jeff Bridges too mm-hmm. which i will admit her in uh not her in the the end of the third act where jeff bridges tells her like he loves her and mm-hmm. she like really gets in, into his face about it and stuff mm-hmm. like that actually even before that where he was going to break up with her that's what i was like fuck yeah that's acting that that's emotions and what were what i wanted from that character mm-hmm. um so her role was decent but it took a while to get to get where i think i where i think it should have been it's hard because when you're dealing with traumas and stuff like that mm-hmm. how do you make it believable yeah that's true. and partly it is that what's believable is that people don't wear emotions on their sleeve like that yeah especially yeah. if they've been through trauma yeah um so do i think it still holds up i definitely do think think it holds up uh same as what kelsey said that the topics are relatable um it does look a bit dated but i think that doesn't really take away from what this film is trying to say what except for the hair in jeff bridges mouth i know and you have a thing about hair and it was like all in there in his mouth it was in his mouth and he didn't even try to get it out yeah but I, I i did enjoy it i i still think it holds up it is a bit long it's a little over two hours mm. could have dropped off maybe like 20 minutes maybe mm. been fine all right uh is that it i have one confession to make about the movie sure the name of it is the Fisher King. Okay. And when it came time for uh, Robin Williams to tell the story of the Fisher King, uh-huh. the pacing had slowed down to the point where he zoned out. Okay. So literally, the uh, namesake of the movie, I didn't hear the fucking story. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, wait, where he was like laying down. And yeah. T- <laughs> That's okay. This is as long as you got the message. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, that's it? We're done? Yep. All right. So that's going to be our show for this week. We want to thank everybody for joining us on uh, the show. Uh, we would especially like to thank the phone. The funk, The folks <laughs> over at Your Entertainment Corner for hosting this podcast on their website. Uh, for all your film news, TV news, and reviews, check out yourentertainmentcorner.com. Uh, you can catch this podcast on all podcast catchers, as Kelsey had mentioned earlier. Um, so we're going to be back next week. Our episode, we will be reviewing 
Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul. Uh, the mockumentary starring Sterling King Brown and Regina Hall. Yeah, it is Regina, Regina Hall. Hall. Uh, Sterling King Brown. I love him. That dude is a... Also, his kids started school today, I think. Oh, yeah, because you follow him on IG, don't you? Oh, Facebook. Oh, okay. Um, so with that, our geriatric cinematic will be This is Spinal Tap. Uh, 1987, I think, is This is Spinal Tap. I the best year? It, that's, oh, my God. All that wood paneling and funky carpet. Uh, this is, aha, no. I'm sorry. You know what? It, it did come out on the best year, 1984. So, the worst year? It's the best year of ever. <laughs> the best year. Anyway, yes, 1984's This is Spinal Tap. Um, kind of a hard one to find. It's not really streaming anywhere without paying at least $10 to buy it. Um, so, you can buy it on Amazon or YouTube TV or uh, Apple TV. Um, or you can find it streaming for free on YouTube. It's just, you know, a little hidden. You know, we'll give you the link. Anyway, um, or you can check it out on <laughs> Torrance, California, if you need to find uh, a legit copy. <laughs> so, the topic of that week's show will be let's make a mockery of things. <laughs> I really can't wait for you to watch Spinal Tap. Yeah. Yeah. One of the greatest lines ever. These go to 11. Phenomenal line. Mm. Fucking love it. 100%. It's one of my favorite movies. 100. 100. 11%. 100% or 111%? 111%. No, 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 no. We want to go to just 11. Because, you know, between a 1 and 10, you go to 11. I use that quite often. Like right now, this conversation, about a 3. But me... An 11. No. Why not? Because fuck you. It's good enough. I'll take it. <laughs>